Do you love racing? Then you've come to the right place. We discuss current topics in most asphalt series, as well as deep dives into the history of racing, race cars, and the drivers. I'm NASCAR driver Derek Cope. I share some of my personal stories, as well as highlighting those people that shaped my career and others. I'm Alicia Cope, and we also take on controversial and engaging topics on many subjects, including NASCAR, as well as tips and tricks that have worked for us in building teams from scratch, keeping relationships, and finding new roads. Hopefully our experiences will inspire you to reach your own goals. Let's get started. Welcome back to Race Theory. I'm Derek Cope. I am without my wife, Alicia, today, but we will forge ahead. She is sorely missed. But I want to start out the conversation today with uh, some thoughts on some theoretical ideas and things that are going on in the in the state and the sport itself right now. I, the, the current state of racing is a little bit, I don't know, misguided in my opinion. And I think I want to just talk a little bit about that today because I came back from Detroit where I was at the Chevrolet Detroit Grand Prix, which had IndyCar and had some other uh, IMSA-type cars there, GT4, I believe, and uh, GT3, but also had the Trans Am TA2 cars there. And this was a street course. Before, IndyCar was at Belle Isle for many years and now have decided that they've gone back to the streets of Detroit. And it was, it was nice. I really enjoyed, uh, it was really, you know, I thought done very well. Uh, the way you got in the racetrack seemed to be pretty proficient. Uh, we weren't sitting in lines, uh, got in and out of there well. Uh, it was pretty well orchestrated. I thought they did a really nice job. And aesthetically, uh, the backdrop of, you know, the water and Canada and, you know, the General Motors uh, building there and all the things downtown, it really just was a pleasant experience as well as obviously the weather being extremely conducive uh, to having a good time, being in the sun and maybe a little warm for some people, but I really enjoyed it and I was able to get some more sun there and uh, up in the spotters uh, area there. So really enjoyed the overall weekend. Uh, the one thing that I want to discuss a little bit, I guess in, in general and in, in other forms of racing as well, but since we were in Detroit, and I just came back from there. Something that I think has been happening throughout the, since I really started going to Trans Am races, and, you know, getting, I think, closer to the situation, seeing more about what happens within the races, the tendencies of the races, and the outcomes of the races, and then the aftermath of the races. You would think that in some instances where the race is over, you may have a little bit of a animosity or problem and somebody's upset with each other and maybe a, you know, a little bit of a problem between certain drivers or something that gets caught on television at times. But for the most part, you know, we, you, know you think you should be able to run the race and have the ending be the ending. And it seems like that's not really the case anymore. It seems like there's a whole lot more deliberation. There's a lot of what something that I'm really not accustomed to. And I, you know, obviously, I've ran 
you know, the late model sportsman divisions. I've ran Winston West. I've run the Cup Series, Xfinity Series, Truck Series. And in all of the years of racing that I've been involved in, I've really never been into the pos position where we have protests. And you can put up money and you can put up a protest and, a, you know, <laughs> send in documents and then they review the happenings of the, uh, the outcome of the race. I find this odd. And obviously, I'm hearing more and more about it on the, the Saturday night races, the late models and things like that, that there is a lot more of that protesting going on and, you know, people complaining and um, protesting, you know, what you have on the car. And, and I, I've, I've heard of all this before, like, you know, if you have a problem and, you know, they think that you got a cheater shock or you got cheater this, that you're able to send in some type of a protest and you can actually, you know, get that part and you can make them, you know, give that part up, you know, that there's some type of a price, you know, uh, situation set for it or whatever. But in an actual protest, it's something that I just, I don't believe it really has a place in autos, in auto racing. And that's just my opinion. I obviously have witnessed this in the Trans Am series more because I've been involved with Nitro Motorsports and I'm a lot more up close and personal and you know we have multiple drivers and you know you have a lot of race car drivers in the sport now and the one thing that i guess the one thing that i find as a common denominator is is that we really have a lot of very very young drivers and a lot of the series that we look at in road racing specifically is a lot of it is arrive and drive. So, and, you know, there may be some situations where the parent is the car owner and they provide a car, the actual fixture for the driver, their son or their daughter. And then a, you know, another company uh, may, they may outsource it and that person, fin you know, preps the car, sets the car up, crews the car and takes it uh, logistically to and from the racetrack. So, there's a lot of different dynamics and a lot of ways that people approach racing these days. But the one thing that, you know, I think has become part of it that I really just have a distaste for is that there's just a lot of wrecking each other and a lot of things coming down to the late stages of races. And there's like a no holes barred type of scenario. Now, granted, been in the Cup Series for a very long time, and we've seen a lot of things happen with guys like Earnhardt and the problems that he had with Bodine, you know, and Jeffrey and them go at it all the time. And then you had, you know, you know the Rudd situation where they were going at it full time. And then you had, you know, a lot of, you know, you know, you had the Donnie Allison, Cale Yarborough, uh, you know, affair at Daytona, which really kind of set the stage for stock car racing and, and, you know, it's, it's rise to stardom on TV. So all of the good things that come out of fights and mishaps have a tendency to draw attention, creates exposure, and there's a lot of positives from that. So a lot of guys say, well, you know, hey, look, you know, if you're having wrecks or you're having problems or there's fights and there's animosity that, you know, there is exposure that comes along with that. But the thing that I was alluding to in the beginning of this was more about this 
protesting uh, nonsense. You know, I really, and just as my opinion, but, you know, and obviously every sanctioning body has their own thoughts on how they run the organization, you know, what they do to try to keep peace or keep parity and keep, you know, the racing somewhat fair that everybody feels like that, you know, they're having a say or they, you know, if they feel like they're wronged, that they get a voice. And that's tough to do. And I think the part that is, is you know, from, a, from standing back and observing and being, you know, in the Cup Series for a long period of time and seeing the really the progression of the way that the, race, the racing organizations are run. I've been in a lot of different series. And I've been involved in, you know, road racing series from the 24 hours, you know, to Trans Am, you know, I've run Winston West, you know, I've run street courses, a number of street courses as well. And, and, you know, it's, it's interesting to me, really what's, what's going on at this point in time. Now, theoretically, you think, okay, the organization that runs the, the sport you know, they can dictate what and how everything is run. And I know in NASCAR, it was truly a dictatorship back in the early days, the days that I remember starting in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s and pretty much through the 90s. I think that there was, it was a strong-armed approach that Bill France Sr. and Bill France Jr had over the sport. And I really felt like that the gentlemen that were like the tech inspectors at those times, you know, were these no-nonsense type of guys. You had the Bill Gasways, you know, the Dick Beatties, you know, and you, know, you just had, you know, this sense of uh, that they almost inflicted fear when you got in the garage area to the point that, you know, they really were, you know, not taking any nonsense, and you really didn't really have a voice. It was their way or the highway, their sandbox, whether you want to play in it and you bring your little toys and your little tools and shovels and play, or you just stay outside the box and wish you were there. And that was kind of the mentality and the approach that NASCAR took, you know, I think in the infancy of me being involved in the sport. And I think earlier than that, they pretty much dictated that as well when. You know, they had problems with tires at Talladega and they went to boycott and they put a, brought in everybody else to race and the other guys sat on the sidelines. And when they tried to put unions together, then they pretty much banned those two drivers from even, you know, being able to participate. So it was a different mentality then. Now, you, you, again, getting back to the Trans Am situation, and I think road racing in general is different and their approach is different. but. The one thing that, you know, I think has, if you look back at, you know, Trans Am a while ago when you still had some older guys racing it all the time and, you know, it was a hard, it was a hard fought factory back type of scenario. And, you know, there was corporate backing and these drivers were a little bit older and, you know, they were, you know, it was a serious business, but, you know, you, there was repercussions for, for major issues and problems. And, I see this now to a point where we are getting 
the very young drivers in there and we are seeing you know them i think take the approach that they've seen on television with nascar and these green and white checkers and there's wrecking cars at the end of the races and the races can't get to the end and they go through countless overtimes and they basically just wreck people for the for the win and moving somebody out of the way and wrecking somebody is two different things in my opinion and i think most people will say that and we're seeing now is that you know guys are coming in here and they, you know and again granted if you think about this, put this in perspective, because it really is about perspective. And that's what I'm doing here. I'm giving you my perspective of what I see and, and how I view it. And you can agree or you can disagree. And, but you got, a, I mean, you got 13-year-old kids, 14-year-old kids driving, you know, up front and vying for, you know, for wins and, and you know, top tens on a consistent basis against guys that have been doing it for some time. And, you know, guys, these, a lot of these kids are 17 years old and have been driving, you know, a lot of different types of vehicles and they're sitting in a race car all the time. So they've become relatively productive and they've been able to make the transition to the next level of race car. They've been able to, you know, showcase their talents relatively quickly but the one thing that still holds true is that without an enormous amount of practice and raw talent maybe to the phenom type of degree they get to a point where they are fast they are quick they have pace but they get to a point where all of a sudden they they can't catch up to the race car if the race car is really good, really good race team, and they're running up in the top three to top five and in a position to sit on poles and do all this, all of a sudden, they got to press when the competition elevates. They got to press beyond what they're really comfortable doing. And that's when we see the mistakes. And I think, you know, I, I like watching these young kids come up and start out running, you know, maybe 30th or 20th. And, you know, all of a sudden, they make some inroads and they're running 15th. And then all of a sudden, it's like the light comes on and instantly, or their, or their cars get a little bit better, the cars they have to drive, or, you know, they give them a little more leash, you know, they let, you know, pull, they get the bit out of their mouth a little bit and, and here they come. And then, you know, they, they and they start to make like a, a, a legitimate shot at the top, you know, 15 or top 12, top 10, and, you know, start to show that, uh, you know, these kids have some real ability and we're seeing that in Trans Am to the highest degree. And we've obviously, you know, being involved with Nitro, I've been privy to watching Brent Cruz. Uh, and I also got to watch Connor Zilich uh, when he was in the infancy with Nitro and then gone on to Silver Hair. And these are two world karting champions that have come through uh, Nick Tucker's Nitro Motorsports and, you know, two talented young, young kids. And, you know, they're now fighting each other for, for wins. And, you know, they, they go head to toe and it really is, I mean, it's a pleasure to watch the talent that these kids have and they're racing against guys that have won the championships before, like Thomas Merrill and Rafa Matos. And, uh, they got this uh, young kid, Evan Slater. And there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of guys up there that, I mean, it's very competitive in the top 10. So if you're in the top 10, you are, if you're cracking that, 
you're you're doing something in my opinion. So watching it, it really is uh, is worthwhile. So if you get a chance, Thursday nights I think they have the the races on Mav TV. You really owe it to yourself to watch some of these events and get a feel for the names and uh, the way that these kids are are driving race cars. But also, when you're watching that, you're probably going to watch the ends of these races and have, I mean, look at it in total dismay and it's like, what are these guys doing? And that's kind of where I think we're at. And in my opinion right now, the sanctioning body needs to get a grip on top of this. I think they have a great product and they're showcasing it in a great way. They've got a lot of race cars. They've got a lot of great quality race teams in there, but they're empowering these owners and these drivers to come in and think that they can protest on all these races for the aftermath. And the problem with that is the optics. You think about it. After the race, you know, you, these things are getting some television coverage, whether they're tape delayed or some of them, they're, if they're, you know, live, whatever the case may be. In this case, they're tape delayed. But you still have an ending that has to happen. So now in road racing, of course, it's not just the one guy getting the win and then, you know, he's the guy, you know, you know, raving the flag, getting the interview. In road racing, there's a podium and there's a first, second, and third place, just like an F1. So you go through all of this and they, you know, they hand out the trophies and they give all the awards and all the things. And then the race is over and then there's a protest. And then you have to sit around and wait. and you know, everybody's, you know, the the fans are gone, the people are gone, and everybody's waiting around to figure out, you know, what, what Trans Am is going to do with the result. And then you, I mean, then all of a sudden, in this case, this weekend, and not, and not just because I'm with Nitro Motorsports and I, I help on a car there, but, you know, in the first race, Connor Zilich is, is uh, doing an excellent job. Sat on pole, running the race. Brent Cruz running second. And, you know, there is a maneuver made, and Brent Cruz goes, you know, looks like the door's left open a little bit, and he runs in there, but it really goes in shallow, and they touch, and, you know, Connor gets spun out into the tire barrier, and then on goes Cruz, wins the race, going away. And then there's hard feelings. And then the next day, you know, Brent Cruz is way out front, and Basically, there's a caution with a few laps, you know, late in the race. And then they're going off in this long straightaway, in a very long back straightaway with a lot of speed. And the problem with street courses is that they're hard on brakes. And these cars, the brake packages may not be, you know, the point where they can stand this kind of abuse. These kids, I mean, they're putting a thousand pounds of brake pressure in on the stab, on the on the peak stabs. And I mean, they're using these cars up. They're manipulating these race cars to the fullest degree of the word. And they're struggling with brakes throughout the race. The pedal's getting along. Uh, they're starting to pump the brakes. And so then you get down to the end and you got a, you know, a whatever, a one, two, three lap shootout, whatever the case may be. And then these guys are all dive bombing to the ends and, you know, in this case, Thomas Nunciata gets in the back of um, this Austin Green and knocks him into Brent Cruz, bends them out. Connor's on the outside of it, and then Nunciata takes the lead, strikes, and you know, comes to victory. 
and then there's a protest. And you wait around, and then he's relegated to, I think, 12th, then Connor Zilch takes the win. But, you know, then you got social media, and you got, you know, the fact that, you know, well, you know, it was a great race, congratulations, but, you know, see, it's going to be hard getting the trophy from me. <laughs> so it's like it's the banter and all these things, it's, you know, it's the kids. I mean, it's hard to to justify it in my mind. And, you know, I really believe that somehow there needs to be, I think, some real thought put in by the sanctioning bodies to look at this and come up with deterrence for this kind of racing. Second of all, stop the protesting. Stop empowering the guys to have this kind of retribution after races and race for it. And they have the capabilities to look at in-car video, every car has in-car cameras and they have, they can pull the SD cards out and they can look at the video and they can sort it out. And I think somehow there just needs to be something done to set a precedent so it can, you know, somehow stop some of this. And I think that it just, it creates a lot of animosity between the teams and there's a lot of bickering and it really is childish when you have have all of these protests after the race and it's uh i don't know it's just a an aspect of the this type of racing that i just have a distaste for and everybody else may not have the same opinions or views but obviously that's why i have a podcast and i get to say what i want to say and i have the platform just like denny hamlin and you know his uh whatever he calls it actions detrimental so Everybody has, you know, a way to get their point across and that's what social media is all about and everybody has a voice now. So you get to air your thoughts and your, you know, beliefs on how things should or shouldn't be and whether it's right or wrong, that's the the state of the world and this is the current state of racing. So I don't know how you view it. I certainly would like to have some input. You know, I'd like to hear from, uh, you know, a lot of our listeners on, on just really how they feel about this, because I think that this is something that, you know, the general, the public, the, you know, the audience and the people watching races and the race fans, they, they have a voice and certainly more so than most people right now, it seems like. And, you know, you have to look at this and what's best for racing. I know a lot of people that have been through the sports that are, you know, running other higher echelon sports and where they've come from and what they're doing. And we just see, I don't know, I just feel like a deterioration in what's going on. And the precedent has been set. And I think it's very poor. So, you know, I've kind of beat the Trans Am deal up a little bit. And it's not that I have a distaste for the people running Trans Am, which I do not. They're wonderful people. I, I know some of those people. I enjoy going to the races. I enjoy, you know, uh, what they're doing and the car counts and, you know, watching these young, talented kids go race. And I enjoy that. And, uh, but I believe that they need to somehow find it within themselves to stand up to these people and tell them enough's enough. And, you know, I don't know if you, you know, want to find people or what you want to do but at some point you just got to tell people no and i think that's the problem that's happened so much in in all forms of racing is nobody just tells them no we're not doing that that's the way it is if you don't like it don't come back 
You know, the bottom line is go out there, find a way to run competitively, race, do it right. And, you know, if you have to sit a kid out one or two weeks or whatever the case may be, and you need, it's called learned behavior, right? If you do something that's wrong, you know, and you get a spanking, which obviously doesn't happen very much anymore in this day and age, in my opinion, uh, and should, but if you do something and then they go and do it again and they get the same punishment, pretty soon they don't want to do it anymore. It's a deterrent to doing those types of things. So if you don't get a chance to go race or you don't, and you want to keep doing the same thing each week, then you're either going to have to go to another series and start over, or you're going to physically learn that this is not how we race. This is not how we're going to do it. And, you know, you better succumb to doing it the right way. And bumping somebody, moving them out of the way, and doing those types of things, that's, that's racing. Getting in there, taking the angle away, going in the corner, leaning on them, put a tire on, move them out of the way. You know, if somebody gives you a lane and you get in there, but your angle is poor, you know what? That's going to be racing. If you gave them an opportunity, you know, they're going to take it. And I don't, I can, I can condone those things, but hauling off in there, drilling people and wrecking everybody and then going to the end. Yeah. I mean, it is ugly. And, but you have to, I think you have to look at everything. You know, when the brakes are in a, if you're running a racetrack like Detroit and they're you're running a street course, which I have run them and they are difficult on brakes, you know, they end up shortening the race because two drivers, I guess, were telling them that, you know, they couldn't, that they're running out of brakes to run the race. Well, you know what? Why do you want to listen to two race car drivers? First of all, they're not the guys running the series. Second of all, it's self-serving. All they want is what they want because it helps them win the race. The bottom line is they need to learn how to conserve brakes, not maybe push so hard, find a way to do, have their great, better brake modulation and get to the end of the race with the most amount of brake and then, you know, win the race in that way. So. Again, those are the kinds of things that I'm drawing attention to, and I would be interested to see how other people feel about this. But, you know, it really is, you know, I think a troublesome factor in, in road racing today and some sports that have that. So uh, I'm going to go on to another subject, uh, still related to the same types of things, because now I want to switch to the Cup Series a little bit. We've obviously seen a number of instances where we have had this hooking, you know, getting on somebody's rear quarter panel and turning left and hooking them and putting them in the fence head on. And, you know, the fight after the fights afterwards and the, you know, the animosity and the name calling and the, the, the very poor displays on national television that are despicable. And, you know, in my opinion, they ought to be reprimanded. If I was the sponsor or I was the car owner, I'd probably be making some, some very stern regards to, you know, uh, mentions to them and some discussions and say, look, this is unacceptable behavior. Knock it off or else I'm going to do something about it. You know, you're not bigger than this race team. You're not bigger than this organization. You're not bigger than this series. So clean your acts up. You know, you are extensions of companies. You are extensions of brands you are a brand ambassador act like it we're not seeing that at the highest level of motorsports in nascar and i think it's absolutely pathetic so you know you take a look at what happened there with bubba wallace and kyle larson at las vegas 
And that kind of set the stage. We've had it many times before this, right? But it seems like all of a sudden it's become front and center. And you're like, okay, it's in our face. There was a fight, a lot of things brought to it. You know, it's Michael Jordan's driver, Danny Hamlin's driver. And, you know, we've had a lot of trouble with Ross Chastain and Denny Hamlin and others with Ross Chastain. I mean, he seems to be the common denominator, but all the other players are, you know, sporadic. And it seems like there's a lot of rhetoric, right? Obviously, well, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. He ain't going to win the championship. Blah, 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 blah. Well, guess what? What happened last year? Nobody did anything. And then he's in a position to, to run for the championship. And all these guys with big mouths that don't do anything, you know, allowed this to happen. So, hey, kudos to Ross Chastain. I mean, he ran with it. He did what he wanted to do. And these guys didn't have enough guts, balls, or whatever you want to call it, you said, you know, to, to step up and do anything about it. So he just runs all over them, you know. And then he makes them look like idiots for the first time doing what he did at Martinsville. And, you know. He pulls off a, a move that gets him a lot of notoriety and continues to elevate his perception versus the other guys. So, you know, and then we get down here now and we've got this situation with Denny Hamlin and Chase Elliott. And in my opinion, <laughs> I don't know. I've always thought Denny Hamlin has a big mouth, always has, seems to always have something to say about everything. And he's a great race car driver, has done a lot of great things in the sport. He's with great organization, been very productive, but always has something to say. Somebody stick a sock in his mouth. You know, it's hard to swallow. And it's the same thing all the time. You know, how he's going to do this and how he's going to do that. And he does nothing. And, you know, honestly, it makes you look bad. And now he's got a podcast, Action is Detrimental. And to go back and listen to that, you know, and you start listening to what's being said. And, you know, honestly, you know, some of the things that he's saying, you know, and, and they're calling out Steve O'Donnell from NASCAR and people of the sanctioning body, you know, that, that'll only go so far. And then, you know, the, uh, the actions are going to come towards you. And I don't, what I don't want to see is, you know, why don't you just, what I, I like to see is the guys just drive race cars. You are a professional race car driver. You're not a professional podcaster. You are not, you know, and you, I got all these different arms. You are now a car owner and you are now a podcaster. And I mean, and then, you know, you guys all just use these platforms to get what you want. And, you know, granted, whatever the case may be, and everybody you have, you know, if you're a Denny Hamlin fan, you're pro-Denny. If you're a Chase Elliott fan, you're pro-Chase. And rightfully so. That's what keeps the sport going. That's what keeps things exciting. And I'm not saying that it's the wrong that he does what he does or how he does it. That's the, what he feels like he needs to do for himself and to make a difference. So if that's what he feels, then that's what he feels. But I think if you look at actions being detrimental, I think that's one of them. And I think, you know, you become your own worst enemy. And realistically, the sport doesn't need that. The sport needs to be run by the sanctioning body. You need to go out 
and figure out a way to race these race cars, figure out how to race them hard, do all the types of things to entertain the people and not hurt each other if you can keep from it. Racing is dangerous. This car has some dangerous characteristics and they're working hard to rectify them. But racing has been this way for a long time. We've killed a lot of race car drivers. We've broken, all broken a lot of bones. We've all sat out because we couldn't, you know, couldn't see or had concussions. And we just got back in there anyways and drove before all of the concussion protocols that they have now and all the things that have been implemented. We used to drive that way. So, you know, I get it and I understand it. And that's why I think some people have left the sport, you know, and, you know, it's just part of the, I think it's kind of the part of the allure of the of of racing. It's it is, you know, a a dynamic uh, aspect about it that you know that these guys are doing things that not many other people are capable of doing or willing to do, and that's to put themselves out there, put their lives on the line, and to do battle in this manner. And right or wrong. You want to believe me or you want to, you know, you don't agree with me, that's fine too. But that's just the way I view it. And then you see this past weekend, we go to Gateway. Of course, you know, no Chase, no Chase Elliott, because he's been suspended for a weekend, just like I guess Bubba was for, for that. So, you know, tit for tat. That's what Denny's saying. And then, you know, we have a, another hooking situation uh, that happens at the end of the race. It looks like Austin Sendrick, you know, they're running three wide and knowing them, they've raced Gateway before and Gateway is a very difficult racetrack. And, you know, the way that you funnel off into one there, it is tight and you're all trying to, you know, <laughs> you know, go three wide into a place that really isn't conducive for it. And then, you know, you make a maneuver, you kind of move up to try to get an angle because you've gone, you've kind of dipped your nose out. Austin dips his nose out and you know, has got trying to kind of three wide and he has to try to like move back up a little bit. And there's Austin Sendrick and Sendrick hooks him and he's in the fence up into Stenhouse, takes Stenhouse out, who was having an excellent run and a melee happens. Well, now what is Austin doing? Get on there. And now he is demanding that Austin Sendrick hooked him and that he needs to sit out. So this is the state, <laughs> the current state of racing. We are now hooking people and they should be set out for a week. So this is the learned behavior that we are going to come up with now, right? So you're going to sit out a week if you hook somebody. So again, you know, every wreck, you can't put three race car drivers, let alone two race car drivers, and come up with the same story at any one wreck. It's not going to happen. And it's been this way for decades. You have three drivers, four drivers, four car owners, whatever the case may be. You can't come up with the same story out of any one of them. So why try? I mean, that's just, that's why NASCAR ruled the way they ruled. It's because everything's all about perspective. And it's all about self-serving natures of everybody involved. You go sit at these car owner meetings and you listen to all this stuff and the guys get up and stand up. Everything is all about being self-serving for me. What's best for me? This is what I want. That's how it works, right? So again, it has been interesting and it continues to be interesting. But I wanted to shed some light on this just simply because I haven't really been that vocal about the things going on and 
you know, I've been talking, I've been chronicalizing more things and, you know, had trying to have some guests on and doing some things differently, but I thought it was really time to kind of give my assessment and my, my feelings about some of the stuff that's going on. And I care about this sport. I always have. I've had enormous passion for it. I've worked my guts out to get here and, you know, had to do a lot of things. I had to reinvent myself, had to just stay around doing things I didn't want to do just to be a part of it. But the sport really, uh, it, uh, racing in general, I mean, it is changing. The world's changing. So they got to change with it. I get it. But I think, in my opinion, the sanctioning bodies of all these racing organizations need to figure things out. They need to stand up. There needs to be a guy that says, no, we're not doing this anymore. Don't say nothing to me. Don't talk to me. Get out of my office. Go away. This is not happening. I understand it. You know, we're going to review it and we are going to look at it. And if there is a problem, then we will deal with it in a manner suitable that we feel like that we can get results from. Now, you all know that there are many things that these teams or these race, um, race teams have inside the cars that NASCAR and Trans Am and everybody that's in racing mandate. They have in-car cameras. They have, you know, video that they can, you know, like in Trans Am, they have to turn the video cards in, you know, and they've got, and in NASCAR, I mean, they got very sophisticated telemetry, SMT. They are capable of looking at everything that happens within a race car. I'm talking throttle traces, brake traces. We're talking speed. We're talking steering angles. We're talking pretty much everything that is going on with the driver inputs and what's going on with the race car. They're able to monitor, look, and access right on down to the driver's line that he's taking. And of course, a lot of in-car cameras. So there's a lot of different things that can be done and looked at and assessed. And I think that is how they need to do it. And they don't need to be, I mean, goaded into doing things because somebody's got a podcast and takes a stance or they get it on social media and they're beating them up and making them and forcing them into a decision to do. I do agree with Denny in a number of things that he says. Consistency is a must. And I think that's the one thing that he is striving for is that they are consistent with the decisions they make. And I agree with that. And I, you know, I think that that's the one thing. If you're going to set a precedent, then you need to continue that precedent and stick with it. So, but I think that you need to assess how you're doing things before you stick to something that's probably detrimental or it makes no sense and just creates more opportunities for making yourself look stupid, you know, and taking race car drivers out of the race cars that have sponsor obligations. They bring revenue to the race teams and everybody's trying to showcase the potential and have a fair shot at a championship. And the organizations, they need the revenue. They need the they need, everybody needs to have those guys at the racetrack. Find a way to create, you know, that kind of thing to not happen through other ways, other mechanisms. But I do agree with that fact of being consistent once they come up with the deal. But you've got to try something different. And in Trans Am's case, yeah, get rid of the protesting. Come up with another avenue. But I think you've got to have, a, you know, somebody at the top that's willing, that's been in racing, 
that's maybe been a driver, been, you know, uh, in the trenches, you know, whatever, uh, you know, crew chiefs, guys that are knowledgeable at knowing all the things that, you know, they understand racing, calling races, seeing races, being a part of races, but somebody that can really be an objective guy that says, you know, no, <laughs> enough's enough. I think it's pathetic and we're not listening to that, right? Take your butt out of the, out of the office here. Do not bring me that uh, protest deal. We're not going to even, you know, tolerate that at this point. And I don't know. I think that's, uh, that's kind of, I think, in my opinion, where we're at right now. And I think it's a bit distasteful. I think that some change has to happen here. And the way that they're running these races at the end, they, are, they just promote these types of things to happen at these races. The way that the races are ending up, uh, you know, when the cautions come and then, you know, the green, white checkers and, you know, going to the white flag lap and, all that, you know, at some point, you got to figure maybe something else out because this isn't working and we got We got to figure out a way to make this better. And, you know, you look at indie car racing, you know, uh, the type of racing they're doing. I mean, I think the Indianapolis 500, I thought was pretty darn good. Those guys started the race as well. They, they had a lot of side by side, three wide, four wide, you name it. They were dicing around doing a really nice job and put on a great race for a type of racing that is sometimes very boring and very difficult to watch. I mean, look at Formula One. That is dynamic from a, you know, I think a technical standpoint. The ideas of the cars, you know, all the, the arrow that these cars have, all the straight, all that stuff is very interesting. But the racing's very poor. Uh, whoever qualifies on the pole, and right now Red Bull seems to have a distinct advantage. They make racing boring. You know, I love F1. I love to watch it. I watch it anyways. I love to listen to all the things going on. But, you know, I don't like the fact that they're not able to race. I do like that in Trans Am because they are racing. I like the type of racing that's going on there. I like IMSA racing. I think IMSA racing is going very well right now. I like the fact what Jim Francis got going on with IMSA and the WeatherTech series. I like the LMDH cars. I like the GTP cars that are, are running right now. It's exciting racing right now. I think Le Mans is going to be outstanding. I think it's interesting about all the dynamics that are happening in racing there. And, you know, the OEMs getting involved. There's a lot of positive things right now. But the one thing that's always in, it's always in the driver's hands. And if these kids are going, if they're going to be kids doing this, and there's some talented kids, I mean, they are putting on a clinic. But what they do outside the race car and what they do in the race car is two different things. And the mentality that they take in the race car from the outside is being childish. We got to figure that out. And I think they got to figure out a way to rectify that so that they can have a better product to sell. You got to remember, a lot of this is self-funded. You know, you look at Trans Am, you look at a lot of these other series, right? NASCAR, you know, they have a TV package. It's funded by television rights. You can cover the races. I mean, that's why they survived COVID is they didn't need fans in the stands. They didn't need butts in the seats to pay for all this. It was done through television. Their tracks got their money. The teams got their money and they're able to go to run whether they had anybody there or not. The other series struggle with that because they pay the toll. They pay large entry fees. They go there. 
They fund the racing with that. Anything that they get, you know, other sponsors that they have for the series sponsors and things like that, it, that goes in their pocket. And it's not really paid out to the teams. So that's the difference in the types of monies, the disparity in the types of money in the, in the series is because they're self-funded. So, you know, the current state of racing, you know, isn't a quandary. They're trying to figure out how do we get people to get excited about our product? Well, it's tough to get excited about a product when the winner that's given the trophy and squirts the champagne isn't the winner. And how do you tell that on television when you do a taped broadcast come Thursday night? I think that's, uh, that's troublesome. So there's a lot I've said a lot. I have probably irritated and, you know, pissed off some folks, but you know what? That's what having a podcast is all about, I guess. And I hear it all the time and I listen to other podcasts and I feel the same way about some of the things that are said on that. So I thought I'd take my first real chance to get on there and get on a soapbox and tell you how I really feel about some of the things going on right now. I do have a lot of excitement about the young kids coming up. I love to see the talent there. I love working with them. I love seeing them progress. I love work ethic. I love to see some of these kids' work ethics. And I'm hopeful that they continue down those paths because they're going to make for some exciting race car drivers here for us to view. It's just we got to change the course of where we're going right now. We do that. We are going to be in a lot better position here years to come. And I'm hopeful of that. So with that, that ends uh, this episode of Race Theory. I hope you've enjoyed it. And keep an eye on what we got going on on uh, the Race Theory uh, website. You can go to racetheory.club or derekcope.club and see some of the things that we're going to be doing there. You can listen to some past uh, episodes that we have on there. There's merchandise on there. All the information that we're doing. Obviously, I'm doing some coaching. I'm doing some uh, consulting work and doing some uh, speaking engagements as well. So if you have a need for anything like that, have a desire, reach out, and we'll see if we can't find an opportunity that's uh, usually beneficial. With that, we'll speak with you next time. Thank you so much for listening. Did this episode give you some value? If so, please follow us on Facebook at Derek Cope and Instagram at Derek Cope 00 and leave a comment or question and use hashtag race theory. We can't wait to hear from you. See you on the next episode.